morning. Welcome to Join News. That's good. Coming to you live from our studios in Kukumlimli. Coming up, and by tackling the root problem. MP tells Upper East Regional Minister in the wake of recent shootings and related deaths in the community. Also this morning, uh, Queen Mothers and other uh, women group will call on political parties to uh, consider choosing women as their flag bearers. We'll have a conversation on this this morning. We have details of all of this plus business coming up this morning. My name is Aisha Ryan. Just stay for details. Thanks for choosing us. We start with the curse to save the dying souls of livelihood. Fishermen in a cross coastal community of Osuse, they have resorted to burying tons of plastic waste at the shores as a way of dealing with the growing waste at the coastline. They are asking the government to provide resources to properly dispose of the waste collected at the seashore. Joining us at Dobiasari looks at this practice and questions the approach by the locals to combating the rise in filth at the coast. In the Osu community, determined fishermen take their destiny into their hands. Dealing with the mountain filth they are confronted with every morning, a significant part of the filth scattered on the coastline is not entirely their doing. But leaving the plastic waste unattended to poses grave risk to their source of livelihood. Well, I'm Fishermen, don't litter the coast with plastic waste. We are responsible for anything related to fish and not plastic. The residents in the community are responsible for the plastic waste. We clean the beaches because we have no choice. The plastic waste affects our work. Over the years, residents along the Osu Beach, like many other beaches, have battled with pollution ranging from paper to plastic. However, the intervention of the fisher folks here is flipping the narrative. They have begun this clean revolution by burying the waste they came across at the shore. Patrick Loco is a fisherman here, and according to him, the clean beach has become synonymous with the community as a result of the collective effort of some fishermen. <laughs> It's frustrating when waste piles up along the coast. We organize ourselves as fishermen and clean the beaches. We are fed up with the constant littering. We can't afford the services of waste collection companies, so we bury it after gathering. Unlike other materials, plastic does not biodegrade. It can take up to a millennium to break down when not properly discarded. This pollution chokes marine wildlife. It damages soil and poisons groundwater and has the tendency of causing serious health problems. Michael Dobefu says plastic waste is affecting their livelihood. 
It is very disturbing as the waste keeps coming from the various outlets of gutters in the community. This plastic waste sometimes clog our outboard motors and we incur a loss of cost. Sometimes, while drawing our net and expecting a good cash, we only pull out rubbish. When asked whether he knew the method of managing waste was not the best, this is what he had to say. It is not advisable, but that is how best we can deal with it at the moment. We don't have beans to dispose the waste. Keeping and leaving it about are also not good. So we dig as deep as possible and bury the rubbish. The assembly used to provide waste beans, but we have not seen them in a while. Their efforts initially brought a sense of accomplishment. But as the months passed, the buried rubbish resurfaced and returning to the sea, worry is visibly written on many faces here at the spectacle. Gideon Fletcher, a resident of the Yusu community, raises concern about this issue. This place can be clear if you get a dustbin. Uh, after I clear it, we'll put it in maybe somewhere like as I'm having a drink like this. If there is a dustbin after drinking, I can drop it in Sabares, nothing like that. So after drinking, I will just drop it more times. So if you come to work, you have to sweep your workplace. If there is dustbin, we'll used to sweep and put it inside once and for all, they'll take it back. But if you dig and you put it inside, one day, one day, to come back again. So that's the best thing we have to do to keep this place clean. You have to get like three or four dustbins and some four workers, maybe Zoom Lion, four workers, if they used to sweep every day. If you come to some place and that place is clean, you cannot get to the place because that place is clean. But all is not lost. There is another initiative at this time, one that's been pursued by an individual. Our cameras chanced on these individuals seeking to cash out from the tons of plastic waste that had resurfaced on the beaches. They collect discarded plastic bottles and sell them to specific companies for recycling and processing. According to science, plastic degradation is a slow process contributing to the long-lasting environmental impact of plastic pollution. Back at the beach, Michael Dogbefo says it might not be the best practice. But they can't abandon burying the plastic waste in the interim. We often do. We have been doing this for years because our petitions have fallen on deaf ears. You can say these fishermen are doing the wrong thing for the right reasons. These fishermen obviously need the proper logistics to manage waste. But whose responsibility is it? For join news, Adobe Asari's report, right to you. I've been joined by Nana Banredo, who is a specialist on marine and eco-coastal uh, coastal ecosystem biodiversity. Grateful for your time, Nana. Are you aware of this phenomenon? Hello, Nana.
Now, if you can hear me, I'm asking you if uh, this has come to your notice. Oh, yes. It, it, hello? Hello? Nana, you are on air. Yes, I have heard you. I have also been um, sort of going around studying the um, ecological effects of this uh, plastic waste along our shores. Yes. What, is the, what are the implications of this to our beaches and seashore? Well, first of all, if it is beaches, it's an eyesore. If it is our fishing, it really reduces the amount of fish a Ghana can have for its own um, economic benefit and also for its family benefit. It is, it is not something you want to factor into your day-to-day activities for the survival of the coastal people and also for the national economy, and especially for tourism. And so what options are available to the locals, I mean, in terms of disposing of these wastes so they don't affect our beaches and seashore, as you put it? You know, many of the locals can throw their hands up in the air because the volume of the plastic waste there do not originate mainly from the coastal from the localities where they are found. The sea currents here and there, the winds blow these to those beaches. And since they haven't have, they haven't got much knowledge about what to do with them, as they say, they bury them in the sand somewhere. And I think all what has to be done here is for those who are more knowledgeable about plastic, plastic waste and their effect on the environment and on the human economies there, to come in, grasp it, and educate the fishing communities because it is within their ecosystem and their biodiversity, and they have to be able to, be, to have all the knowledge to deal with it. Let's stay a bit longer on this conversation because the AMA has also been leading the Clean Ghana campaign to ensure good sanitation practices in parts of uh, the country. Uh, Osu is in the heart of the city. Uh, what's the inspection team doing on this issue? I've been joined by Florence Kuchi. She's a Metro Public Health Officer of the AMA. Grateful, uh, Florence. Have you been to any of the coastal communities and has this problem come to your attention? Thank you for having me and thank you to our viewers too. Yes, I have been to some of these coastal areas because Accra Metropolitan Assembly shares a boundary with the coast. So definitely I've been to some of these coastal areas and then however uh, the collect uh, clearing of plastic waste and then reburying it by the seashore is something that I haven't it hasn't come to my notice. I'm just hearing it. Yes. Because when you clear plastic waste and then you burn it, it is not good for the environment. It is not good for the biodiversity. 
It's the same thing when you clear plastic waste and then you bury it. It's likewise the same thing. Because it's like robbing Peter to take off. For instance, when you bury plastic, you that has made us understand that it takes over thousand years before a plastic can be reintegrated. And during their disintegration, they release some projects into the water system. And these sources have a, a long-term effect on our marine ecosystem and even on the food chain system. So it is not good to bury plastic by the way in the seashore, neither is it good to burn plastic by the seashore. What's the team's plan in enforcing proper disposal of waste in the city, Mrs. Kuchi? Yes, so, you know, uh, in the Accra Metropolitan Assembly, what we have started doing as we are going more into the waste segregation. And some of these uh, big sites, we are planning of placing uh, different kind of dustbins for waste sourcing at the beaches. So that people who are into waste recycling can always go there and have clean waste for proper recycling. Bear in mind that these plastic that finds their way at the beach side does not generated by the fisher folks. The seaside is at the low lying area of the uh, let me say the Accra, Accra metro, uh, the, the Gala area. So whatever somebody does at the at Gawet or at Sydney, where it rains, everything finds its way into the sea. So it becomes overwhelming for these fisher folks, as well as their families. So mostly what I say is, waste collection or sanitation is a collective effort. It's not for one person. I play my part, you play your part, then on, on we go and we have a clean environment. Is the assembly able to actually provide like waste bins for them in the interim as we find a way of dealing with the situation? Yes, so in the interior, for instance, Osu is not directly under the Accra Metropolitan Assembly table. It is under the Osu Clote. So as it has come into there, uh, and we have seen that these are, or this is what these Kisa folks are doing at the place, I will have to contact my colleague officer at the Osu Clote. Then we put our heads together and see what we will do. Because the work that we do, much of it depends on collaboration. And without good collaboration, we can never stop this success. Nana, in, in the interim, I mean, how do you um, suggest that we deal with this situation? Because um, it, it doesn't look like it's going away. Yes, so these disciples need what we call, they need education. So we need to sensitize them. We need to educate them. We need to let them know the impact of burning plastic waste to their health and the impact of burning plastic waste to the health of the marine ecosystem and even to the health of the, the terrestrial ecosystem as well because when you bury it, it still goes a long way to have an effect on the food chain. So education is the first point. We educate them, then we provide them with the needed logistics so that when they collect these waste, they know where to put which one and where to put this one. Then we bring up uh, what we like say stakeholders that are into waste recycling so that they also come in with their 
uh, uh, recycling mindset. Now we are saying that you produce, you reuse, and then you recycle. You recycle and you reuse. So that is what we are going into now. You reduce, recycle, and then reuse. So that there will be a lesser force uh, uh, or pressure on the little uh, 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 land size that we have. Because in Accra there is no land. Even the land force size is suffering. So if we don't go into full force on waste segregating and recycling, there is going to be a lot of issues when it comes to the environmental management in regards to sanitation and waste management. Florence Kuchi, I'm grateful for your time. She's Metro Public Health Director at AMA. I still have Dr. Nana Banredo, who is specialist on marine and coastal ecosystem biodiversity. Nana, uh, what, how do you recommend that we deal with this situation? Look, um, you're thinking about burying, you're thinking about burning. The problem will be there. I go out buying banana, they say uh, they're giving me plastic bag. I go and buy bread, they say they are giving me plastic bags. And when I say, don't give it that to me, the woman look at me and they say, oh, chief, oh, yeah, that's it. If you know they want farm, I want buy to do what I'm If people will, first of all, reduce their use of plastic, we shall find some way out here. Two, let us bring in the research institutions. As we talk now, aquatic biology, at least at the last count, 20, 23, early 23, they told me about the various products that they have got from recycled plastic waste. You know, that is where we have to go. If you make so, a meaning out of your poverty, coming out of your poverty, then you will solve your problem. You're talking about burying this, you're talking about burning and whatnot. They do not bring economic benefit to those who are in it. If on the other hand you have the plastics, you, you send them to a factory where they are cleaned and recycled into something else. And there are tons of areas where these plastic waste can be recycled into other uses. Then people will go at it. There are people who even want to invest in those. Okay? With some of us who started with um, plastic beer, beer cans, we discovered way back in the 70s that out of five beer cans, you can have four beer cans. Let us bring to those who are confronted with these problems the advantages at the end of the recycling, the advantages of looking closely at the waste and what to do with them. The universities are there. They have, uh, bio, they have all kinds of departments which deal with this waste. Let us have them come together and say, what do we do? Or the information we have presently about what we have, we have here. Where do we go from here? We are copycats. We cannot be original in everything. So let us go and see who have done something with it and improve on what they have done or adapt what they have done to our local situations and problems. You go to the estuary of the Volta. 
Canon water is there. Toothbrush is there. All kinds of plastics are there. Plastic corks, plastic containers, they are all there. The same thing you will find when you go to Cape Coast from Bacano to the, to the old regional hospital. That Baca there is full of plastic waste. And it has grown so far that even the fish species in that river, which was so delicious when we were growing up, are all gone. So what I would say is that first and foremost, let those research areas which border on this one come together, have a workshop as to where is the reuse stage. Two, what can we do with what they have brought out in the reuse? We need to have the research people come in here and increase their logistics to confront this. The assemblies may know about them, but they don't have what it is. What assembly has the money to engage even one technical expert on biodiversity? They don't. So they will talk about as if they are reading a Shakespearean play. What you want to do is first of all to go to the universities, which have got there, and then find out. When I was part of those who thought they are, you know, we are the world in Eritrea, Columbia University and MIT were brought together, given the logistics to find out what caused the drought there. And then, what do you suggest for us not to have this drought that has caused the life of so many thousands? So that's what you have to do. Go to the educational institutions because their research findings will boost what those in the field can use to solve this problem. This is not a problem that cannot be solved. In actual fact, if you focus on it, you will see that there are more financial and economic gains that will come out of it. And there is enough of a, uh, documented evidence from researchers to know where these rewards are. We are 540 kilometers of coastline and we are all fishermen. And we have caused so much hazard. Plastic waste ending in the, in the sea and causing so much. There are certain fish which do not even appear anymore on our coastal area. So, what you can, we can do about it is what you press are doing. You press to put pressure on the research institutions to come together because they are never together. To come together to chart a single path and then for the government to support them to grow that research and the research findings so that industry then can buy into that the research findings, make the money out of it, and then have our conservation on the right path. Thank you. Dr. Anna I'm grateful for your time. He's been suggesting ways we can end this uh, disposal of waste at our coast. Let's get other stories. Upper East Regional Minister Stephen Yakubu has emphasized the need for a resolution to the Boko conflict without political interference. His statement follows a tragic incident where two people were killed and five others injured by unknown gunmen on Thursday. Speaking on the AM show, Yakubu urged all political stakeholders to unite in efforts to restore peace and calm to the affected area.
together, we are working very hard to make sure that for Boko Central, Mahama Yaga says military deployment alone won't solve the crisis in Boko. He charged the minister to address the root cause of the problem, which he said is a promise the NPP made to the Kusasis. Somebody has gone to a arrival chief in Nalibu. You have given orders that the person should be uh, arrested. Has the person been arrested? And then you think that by just stationing soldiers on the ground, you will bring peace in Boko. You know clearly that it will not. And I've told you consistently that this will not. It will not. So don't say that I am I am I am I'm saying things that will, will bring insecurity and etc. The whole insecurity is already here with us. We are dying every single day. Some people died three days ago. Some died yesterday. Five days ago, some died. Many are injured and are in the hospital. And you tell me that, you know, I, I shouldn't be passionate about it? That's not fair. That's not fair to those who are dying every day. But Mr. 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 Ayari, to, to, to be fair to Mr. Yakubu, he said that it's not that people shouldn't be upset or concerned about the situation, but you should watch the tone so that it doesn't spark further chaos. It doesn't degenerate further. I think that's what he said. And I'm telling you that we are already in the chaos. We are already in the chaos, and governments must do what they need to do. And I'm saying that they have failed to do what they need to do. They say one thing, and they do a different thing. And it is true that last night, the guys were killed by soldiers. He hasn't denied that. Yeah, but, but, but you heard, you heard the report from the, the military. They were saying these people engaged them, and they shot back. You heard me ask him that question. I'm and, telling you that and that's that what the soldiers are saying. That is absolutely untrue. Absolutely untrue. Because the soldiers apprehended 
three of the boys, the assemblyman came out and pleaded with the soldiers. The soldiers refused, drove everybody away, beat the guys mercilessly, and finally, when people were in their homes, they saw that the guys had been shot. Send your own team to go to the community and find out. They didn't tell me that I'm far away, so I don't know what is happening. I get briefings every minute. Whatever happens in Boku, within minutes, I get to know because there's no corner that I don't have a person sitting there who would have seen it that I can call and find out what did you see, and they will tell me exactly what they saw. And these same soldiers who shot and killed people, when I took them on, they issued a statement saying that, yes, they neutralized the people. When I went to Shrike, the same soldiers now deny that they didn't kill anybody. When they had publicly told Ghanaians that they neutralized those people, what do you mean by you neutralized? And today I said that you, you never killed anybody. Lecturer of the Kofi Annan International Peacekeeping Training Center, Dr. Victor Doke, says people who involve themselves in criminal activities in Boko must be made to face the full rigors of the law. Let's treat criminal matters criminal. If people are arrested and evidence has been found that they have been involved in any criminal activity, they should be taken to court. Let the law deal with them. Without that, you would have the other party also stating claims that because there is injustice, I have a right to fight for my own. And that exacerbates the situation. Let's look at how we can resource the National Peace Council, mandated institutions, okay, that have been given the authority to come into this situation and offer or prefer solutions to let the situation be addressed once and for all. Until we do all of this, we will not go anywhere. We will always have the issues about sending in security men, right, curfews in place, and then the issue about the illegal weapons are still in the system. So you ask yourself, there is curfew. So how are these Kakofono shootings still going on? That tells you that these youths know the area better than these security services themselves. So we need to attack the situation holistically. The political dynamics will be there, but then we should ensure that it does not create an avenue to exacerbate the situation already as it is. The Queen Mother of the Krapim traditional area, Nane Kriya Asamoabia I, and the Women's Alliance, a non-governmental organization, have added their voice for political parties to consider choosing female candidates as their running mate. The group, whilst commending the 2020 NDC flag bearer John Mahama for choosing a woman as a running mate, has also urged the two major political parties, the NPP and the NDC, to choose female candidates as their running mates for the 2024 elections, making the case for the inherent ability of women to complement men in bringing positive change to society. A statement released by the group uh, reads, I'll be sharing excerpts with you uh, on the platform shortly, but I've been joined, right, so that's a statement, and it says the... Um, International Federation of Women Lawyers in association with the Women's Alliance and Queen Mothers of Equipment have jointly called on all political parties to consider electing women as flag bearers or running mates and MPs for the upcoming elections. Uh, the group 
uh, says that, among others, it recognizes the ability of women to complement men in bringing positive change to society. And they mention women, including Margaret Thatcher, Angela Merkel, uh, Sally Velling Johnson, uh, who have exhibited through their excellent leadership that women are up to the task and can be fully trusted as positive agents of change. And it says that uh, it finally appeals to delegates of MPP to aid female candidates in their upcoming primaries to win the slots as parliamentary candidates. I've been joined by the Executive Director of the Women's Alliance, Nana Ama Asafoboache, for a conversation on this. Nana, grateful for your time. How much of importance is it for these political parties to choose females as their running mates? Kindly unmute for me, Nana Ama. Hello, Nana. Yeah. Hello, can you hear me, Aisha? Loud and clear. I'm asking you to tell me the importance of political parties uh, making a decision to choose females as their running mates. Yeah, good morning, Aisha, and good morning to your cherished viewers. We are very grateful for the time allocated to us. It's very important for us to make uh, the demand, or I wouldn't say demand, but to appeal to our political parties to consider women as running mates. Uh, we know that, uh, I think in the last election or so, uh, the NDC and President Mahama showed the way by choosing a female running mate. It's unfortunate that uh, that dream couldn't materialize. On that note, we are thanking them and then we are appealing to them that they shall repeat sin for us. Then we also appeal to the new patriotic party, to His Excellency Elijah Mahmoud Baumia, to also consider a woman as a running mate. Um, we also wish to um, uh, commend PPP. Uh, the other time, they also chose a woman as a presidential candidate. Unfortunately for us, the dream couldn't materialize. But <laughs> we still go on and we are still pressing that they will consider our plea and then consider a woman as a running mate because like we stated in the press release women are agents of change and some women have they have they have gone into leadership positions and they have really delivered so we have the view that it is time the time is now for women to be acknowledged into high office like the um, like the vice presidential slots, then we can also see what they will bring on board. So I think it's a fair call for us to do that. And in going forward, I want to state that we are grateful to the male. Aisha, most of the time, if you see that there is a woman candidate or like a woman running for a position or something, especially in the political setting, most of the time the um, campaign managers are men so we are grateful to the men also for helping us and we want them to help us more by achieving our dreams so that we can contribute our quota effectively 
to society. It's a good thing, Nana, to have women taking up leadership positions, but most of the time it's been argued that women like to be in their comfort zones and will not put themselves up for those positions. How then do we support women if they don't put themselves up for the job? Aisha, like I said earlier, if we have the support of our men, it's very easy. You know, women shy away from these positions because they are afraid that their images will be tarnished. And most of the time, you know, you know that when you go into politics, you can hear all kinds of unpleasant statements and all that. But we are leaning on, we are trusting that our men will aid us. The men will push us forward. And then our fellow women will also help us. Because if you, if you have someone urging you on, that, oh, you can make it, then it becomes very easy for you. That is why we are making this call in association with the feeder and then the queen mothers. We are urging the women that if you have a call, because most of the time, like you said earlier, maybe a woman will be called upon to maybe become a, 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 like a running mate or so. Then you say that, oh, me, I'm afraid. I don't want them to talk about me and all that. We want the women to know that they are capable if they don't have anybody to look at, they should look at the remarkable work that some of the women did, like Sullivan uh, and Johnson and all that. They have done Margaret Thatcher and all that. They should look at them and accept the like the challenge. Because if we don't accept challenges, Aisha, I don't know. You have to accept the challenge and make sure that when you are given the position, um, you can deliver. So it, it, it's a fair call. And I trust that our women will be willing to rise up to the task. Well, the, the, you, you've uh, enumerated the challenges some women face when they put themselves out there. How do we surmount this? I mean, just by telling women to go for the job won't, won't resolve the issue. There, there must be a resolve. How do we cross this barrier? Yes, Aisha. Um, the first point, I think that Every woman should be confident enough. You, uh, you know that you are my role model. I just admire you. You see, every woman <laughs> must have yes. Every woman must have the confidence that if she is given any position, she can do it because there is an inherent ability in everybody to excel if the person is given the chance. So the first point is that every woman must have confidence in herself that if she is called upon to assume a leadership role, she can do it and do it perfectly. Because now, uh, you know that um, you see a lot of women going to school, they are educating themselves, and then women are also running like great companies and other things. So we have the inherent ability. So every woman should be confident in the first place. When you are called upon, you should ignore the naysayers because definitely you will get naysayers. You should ignore the naysayers. And you should be ready to accommodate and absorb a lot of insults and all that. If you say that, oh, I'm afraid that I'll be insulted and all that, then you are not, you are not going to move for it. In everything that you do, you come across hurdles, but you must make sure that you jump over those hurdles. So it's a matter of uh, gathering courage, ignoring the naysayers, and then absorbing the insults and all that. Because you have a goal, you want to achieve something. So you should ignore all that. And then our women should also encourage other women. Don't bring the women down. 
And then we appeal to our men. They have always supported us. They should continue supporting us. So I think, Aisha, if we have a confident woman and all that, I think that we'll be able to achieve this. And, 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 and most importantly, the support from our men. Very, very important. Very important. I'm very grateful. Important. <laughs> yes. I'm grateful for your time, Nana Masafubo Achi. She's the executive director of the Women's Alliance. Let's get to other stories. The leadership of the Teachers and Workers Union, TEU of TUC Ghana, says it is the sole union with a collective agreement and bargaining certificate. This follows a breaking away of two groups, namely the Tertiary Education Workers Union of Ghana, TEU, Ghana, and the Union of Technical Workers Association of Ghana, TUAC, formerly executive members. There's more in this report. Tension is mounting within the union as the current executives describe old executives as a breakaway and illegitimate caucus with no locus to perform any function whatsoever for the union. Speaking at the press conference, the General Secretary of the Teachers and Workers Union, Mark Deidra Crunches, said they remain the only group with the bargaining power and certification. The leadership of TUAG and the leadership of uh, GH don't have anything like bargaining certificate or any authority on which they can negotiate any condition of service for their membership. So it is rather surprising that two illegal ent- entities would want to put their efforts together to disturb the entity that has the authority and mandate to negotiate for the members that they cover. It is interesting to also note that this group want to want the whole world to understand and believe that the same group of people that we um, cover. They want to also cover this same group. For now, the group has assured its members they are doing everything possible on their conditions of service to be resolved. Carrying a Bing's report read to you. We take a break on Joy News Desk. We'll be back with business. Hi, welcome to Business. My name is Dao Kwao. The World Bank estimates that the African continental free trade area could add $29 trillion to the global economy by 2035. This the founder and chief executive of Noel Tego and Company, Professor Noel Tego, has described as a game changer for the continent in international trade negotiations with other continents. He spoke to Joy Business at the Crystal Ball Africa held in Accra. There are only a few continents in this world, and Africa leads that, where we can choose not to trade with anybody, do nothing with it, and we have everything it takes, from food to minerals to what everything that the world needs is here. You know, so Africa should do that. But we should have the confidence as Africans that we have something to bring to the table. The Africa Continental Free Trade Area is a complete game changer because you see, when you do that, you can come to the table. As one group. The European Union does that. They want to negotiate with America or somebody, they come as a European Union. 
Professor Nuote Gofeda highlighted the impact of the domestic debt exchange on the banking sector. I think what nearly brought the banking sector to its knees, particularly in customer trust and things like that, was the domestic debt exchange program. We cannot run away from it, but that is happening. And the banks are picking up. But the key thing is that the banks have to now start looking at how do we partner for growth. Because, you see, the relevance of the banking sector is not in uh, making profit so that the financial sector is the driver of profit. It is there as an engine to support the growth of the real sector. That is where things uh, should happen. The tenth edition of the Crystal Bowl Africa was on the theme One Continent, One Market, Growing Businesses Beyond Borders and was organized by AB and David Africa. The event brought together businesses and policymakers across Africa to discuss key business issues and produce workable solutions. Now, Ghana's forest cover could soon see a major boost after the Ministry of Lands and Natural Resources commissioned a teak tissue culture lab laboratory in the Ajuma and Ria district of the Ashanti region. The, cut, the cutting-edge edifice provides technologies which are viable alternatives to conventional vegetative multiplication to produce 100,000 to 1 million shoots in a single year. Here's a report by Clinton Yabwa. Since 2017 to 2023, a total area of 728,608 hectares of degraded lands has been put under restoration in Ghana. These lands suffered the devastation of illegal mining, illegal logging, bushfires and illegal tree fells. Star Agroforestry Limited is one of the beneficiary private sector companies which has been allocated degraded forest reserves to undertake commercial forest plantation development. The company has been allocated over 1,500 hectares of degraded forest lands in the Offenshelter Belt Forest Reserve in the Incario Forest District to undertake commercial forest plantation development. The Tissue Culture Laboratory has been established to ensure that the company can produce high-quality genetically superior tree seedlings for their planting activities and meet reforestation targets of degraded lands. Deputy Minister for Lands and Natural Resources Benito Wusubiu, who spoke to the theme, Public-Private Participation in Forest Landscape Restoration in Ghana, said the new technology is a game-changer. I'd say this facility is a game-changer for our forestry and even our agroforestry uh, production drive. Uh, because until now, until today, what we have in Ghana for tissue culture in terms of uh, forestry was uh, what is at the Forest Research Institute, uh, Research Center. That's for it. And even that is for academic purpose. But this is the commercial one, and as such, uh, this is going to help in ensuring that we get better and good quality uh, seedlings uh, for plantation. Chief Executive of the Forestry Commission, John Aluti, says the facility will produce indigenous species to fasten reclamation of lands. They are also going to work on both the indigenous species and the exotic species. What they are doing now is more of plantation species, but we are asking them to work on uh, the indigenous species that we have, like wawa, udum, and the other species. The, 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 the plantation material will be available uh, to uh, all those who are investing in um, uh, no, uh, high um, you know, investment plantation uh, projects. And we hope that that will help us to uh, re reclaim and restore most of our degraded forest lands.
And that's all for this segment.